Le Forger, France, June 6, 1944. Not all the troopers of the 82nd Airborne Division entered France on D-Day via airdrop. Some landed at Utah Beach with the 4th Infantry Division. One such soldier was Lieutenant Colonel Edson Raff, commander of a combined arms unit named Howell Force, whose mission it was to relieve the 82nd at Saint-Mer-Eglise. Raff set off after dewaterproofing his armor support, filled with trepidation, for he had heard nothing from the division since its drop several hours earlier. As he passed Le Forger, Raff spotted a promontory known as Hill 20. A scout car and a tank were dispatched to investigate. But moments later, the recon lieutenant returned on foot with word that both were hard to combat after being hit by enemy fire from Hill 20. This troubled Raff. He knew that his division needed his relief force now, but also that Hill 20 was the scheduled landing zone for the next wave of gliders due to arrive in just five hours. Raff was keenly aware of the impending disaster in Raff's Dilemma. everybody welcome to another ASL extra this time we'll be playing AP 29 Raf's dilemma from action pack 4 Normandy I'm really looking forward to this as I have rich Spilky coming out to join me I've never played rich before he's a big tournament player uh, comes from Illinois here gonna come on over this evening and Probably give me a whooping, so I'm looking forward to learning some things from him. He's going to take the defender, so we'll let him uh, come on and tell you how, what he's thinking as he sets up, and then I'll come back and talk about my attack that I'll attempt. And at the end, maybe we'll uh, do a short interview with Rich. Before he gets here, I did spend a couple hours this afternoon reading over uh, wall advantage and bocage rules. And I'll tell you, it's kind of bizarre. Uh, one thing I never knew is if you place a DC against a wall or hedge, you don't have to pay for the plus, the terrain effect modifiers. I guess you're just tossing it over the wall, and your defender won't get the terrain effect modifiers. Um, otherwise, I got a good grasp of wall advantage when you place it, when you don't. The weird thing is 9.322, the rule on wall advantage, it can be dropped... Uh, at basically any time. So I caught in these examples on Bocage later on that the guy prep fires and then drops wall advantage. And if you're in a Bocage hex with a woods in it, you can drop out of sight. No longer have wall advantage, he can't see you. So you prep, he can't see you, and then you advance back up to wall advantage. It's kind of wild. I played all the hedgerow hell games and I'm pretty sure we never did those things right um, what else was a little surprising here um, well I think I guess the fact that someone with wall advantage denies it to anyone else and he gets it over all the hex sides except in deluxe so I guess I played the deluxe version with the hedgerow hell a lot, so I don't remember quite remember that. Um, so he's if Rich looked at these rules and I asked him to, he's gonna probably play a real sharp defense, and we'll really learn these hedgerow rules. And I'd like to follow up playing a lot more of these action pack four games from the Normandy stuff. So uh, I guess I'll right now turn it over to Rich. Uh, so here he is to talk about his defense. Hello, this is Richard Spilkey, and uh, as I'm sure Dave already um, made you aware, we're playing Raf's Dilemma, AP 29. I've been assigned the Germans, which are on the defense. We're using boards 11 and 54. There's also a little overlay, a little grain overlay, G1, one hex. And so I'll share some of my preliminary thoughts and my setup here the benefit of uh, folks that are going to set this up. Again, you needed boards 11 and 54, one half board of each, and the scenario card shows how to configure that. Now this scenario, according to the record, 
is a little bit in favor of the Germans. I don't remember the exact record, but it was something like uh, 10 and 4 in favor of the Germans, so we did not give Dave the balance, so presumably uh, the odds are a little bit in my favor, but we'll see what happens. The Germans do have three uh, hidden guns, or they're potentially hidden guns, if they're set up in a uh, location that allows them to be hidden, and I, and I did try to do that in most cases, and I'll explain that shortly. I've set up, uh, as you'll see when I give you my exact uh, locations, very, very conservatively. I didn't, uh, I didn't do anything too risky here at all. So if you uh, don't like playing conservatively with a defense, then you're probably uh, not going to like my setup. It's, a, it's about as conservative as I could make it, although I think it's still fairly solid, and I think it will be a little challenging for Dave to completely clear me uh, entirely off the hills, which is what the... Uh, scenario requires him to do in the victory conditions. So I'm very conservative. I didn't set up anything on board 54 at all, even though I am allowed to set up there. I think it says, uh, yeah, in hexes number, number greater than or equal to 6. I didn't even bother doing that. I hope, though, that he looks at my setup and perhaps is fearful that maybe I did throw a hidden gun, you know, maybe facing backwards to hit, hit a rear target or something. I hope he thinks that and maybe uh, is cautious about that, but I didn't do that, as you'll see. I'm set up very far back, and so let me just read my setup, and then I'll explain some of my reasoning of why I chose to set up this way. I've not played this scenario before. I just looked at it today for the first time, so I'm sure it's not the ideal defense, but you know, hopefully it's uh, not too far off the path. So let's see. I'll start on my left, on board 11, and I'll move, I'll move across as I uh, give you my setup. So in hex uh, FF8, I have a 7 a 447, and a light machine gun. In hex CC4, I have a mortar with a, a half squad, a 237, and that mortar is bore sighting the EE9 woods. Again, bore sighting the EE9 woods hex with that mortar. In uh, hex BB3 I have the uh, the 20 millimeter gun hidden and uh, of course that's not in concealment terrain so as soon as he sees that location it'll have to be revealed concealed because it's not uh, concealment terrain. Nevertheless I th still think it's a good spot to be and that's uh, bore sighting hex BB6 Next, in uh, hex AA3, I've got a concealed 436 in a foxhole. In uh, hex Z2, I've got my 76L uh, anti-tank gun. And I also have a trench in that hex, which I'll explain later. But there's no other units there other than the, you know, the crew manning the gun. And that's bore sighting hex X6. And again, that's one of those locations that's not concealment terrain. And so, as soon as he sees that location with anything, I will have to reveal it, but again, I think that's okay. Again, I'm bore sighting hex X6 with that anti-tank gun. In Z3, I've got a concealed 436 and a foxhole. In Z4, same thing, concealed 436 and a foxhole. In Y3, I have a, a 447 with a medium machine gun and an 8 negative 1 liter. I do have the pillbox in that hex at uh, hex spine uh, 3 and the medium machine gun is bore sighting hex Z4 and the way that'll work is as soon as he sees that location I will have to reveal the pillbox but I won't have to reveal it until you know he gets in line of sight of it. In Y7 I got a 436 and that's just sitting up there to uh, you know hopefully strip some concealment as some guys come in uh, in hex X2, I have a concealed uh, 237 in a trench, and I'll explain my reasoning for that in a bit. In hex X3, I have another concealed 436 in a foxhole. In hex W3, I have a concealed 447 in a foxhole. And in hex S5, I have my hidden uh, infantry gun, 75-star infantry gun, and that's at uh, hex bind 3. And it's bore sighting hex S is in Sam 6, right next to him. 
I'll explain my reasoning for that later. And then finally, in hex R5, I've got a concealed light machine gun, 447, and a 7.0 liter. Okay, so here's my thinking. On either flank, I've got my two light machine guns, and those are basically just sitting there, you know, probably for the opening move, maybe second turn at the most, just to, uh, I guess, discourage him from waltzing down a flank in the open, although though he won't be able to stop his tanks, they'll at least discourage the infantry from waltzing around the flanks with those light machine guns being able to put down a fire lane or take a minus two shot or what have you. But I don't really plan to keep them there. I do plan to withdraw both of them more towards the center of the board, perhaps even on the first turn. The uh, thinking I have with the infantry gun that's in hex uh, S5, you know, it might work, it might not, but the, that gun only has a two-kill number of ten. And so it really can do nothing to the frontal armor you know, barring a critical hit of his uh, of his tanks. So I'm hoping that if he does move tanks around that flank, which he may do, that that weapon will get a you know side or perhaps even a rear shot. And that's really its only hope of taking out tanks. It is pretty good against infantry as well with the 75 millimeter. And the reason I bore sighted the orchard hex right next to him is again I'm afraid that maybe his infantry might you know kind of cruise around there and you know, be able to take out that gun, and should he move into that hex with his infantry, at least I'm hoping I'll be able to have a pretty solid chance of breaking him at that point. And again, if that thing even gets one tank, I think that would be terrific. I'd be I'd be happy with that result. And of course, the 76L is really the gun that I have in hex Z2. That's really the one that, uh, you know, has a good chance of taking out the tanks. It's got a 17 to kill number. His frontal armor is... It's 11, but if I hit him on the turret, I believe it drops down to 8. So that has at least a 50-50 chance, if not slightly more than 50-50, of taking out his armor. And it's got a pretty good field of fire. Obviously, it can't uh, see everything from where it is, but I've got it pretty well protected. At least I think it's pretty well protected by just about everything else. And you can see by my defense, even though it's very conservative and very far back, there is a lot of crossfire and a lot of... Uh, you know, mutually supporting fire, that's what I tried to achieve, rather than have isolated pockets of units that he could, you know, cut off and dispatch piecemeal, he's going to have to go for the whole thing. And I think that's going to be pretty hard for him to do. You know, I, again, he's going to have to come up on that hill where he won't have very much benefit of cover and, you know, take some shots. And I'm hoping that, you know, I'm fortunate with a few die rolls and I'm able to take out a tank or two and break a number of squads is my hope. It's going to be hard for him to completely, you know, overrun and annihilate that whole thing. Yeah, he's going to try to throw smoke, I'm sure. Both of his tanks, I notice, in June of 44, which is the month that we're in, both of them have, uh, or all of them have both white, white phosphorus and smoke capability. I don't remember what the numbers are, but I think they're fairly low. Let me take a look at the back of one of his tanks. He'll have a, a smoke 5 and a white phosphorus 7, both of which start in June of 44. So, you know, have halfway decent smoke capabilities and white phosphorus capabilities, which he really ought to use. That'll help him. You know, we'll see if he, uh, you know, thinks of that. The 20L gun, you know, again, that's more of an infantry weapon. It could possibly maybe do something if it hits something in the rear, but it's mainly there to protect the anti-tank gun from infantry, you know, as is the bunker set up with the medium machine gun to do the same. So that's my thinking, my strategy. We'll see how it goes if he completely bypasses the 75 uh, infantry gun on the on my right. You know, I guess it's not going to do much good if, if, if he does completely bypass that side, so we'll see what happens. So I'll uh, sign off and turn it over to Dave. Hey, one more thing. This is Rich again. Before I sign off officially, I just want to let everybody know I did bore sight all three guns. I did bore sight the medium machine gun. I think I indicated that in my setup. I am going to take down, before I turn it over to Dave, I'm going to take off the board all the guns, all the foxholes, the trenches, and the uh, bunker, or the pillbox, I should say. I think it is considered a bunker because I have the uh, trenches next to it. Hey, the one thing I didn't mention that I wanted to, in Hex uh, X2, I have that little half squad, and you might be wondering why. Again, I'm you know assuming that perhaps my uh, 
squad that's manning the medium machine gun in the pillbox will break. I mean, it probably will eventually. And so he's just sitting there with the trench. And if you uh, check out the rules where it talks about if you have a trench adjacent to a bunker, the bunker becomes a pillbox. Or maybe it's the other way around. I forget. Forgive me. But anyway, the bottom line is I can just sort of slide right in there. I can I could ignore the bocage that's adjacent to the pillbox. I can just go right in there with one movement factor, stay concealed, grab the weapon, and, you know, the medium machine gun will be back in action, you know, hopefully. I mean, that's what I'm thinking should that occur. So we'll see if that pays off or not, but at least there's the possibility of that happening. So again, I'll take off the trenches, the foxholes, everybody's concealed, the guns are off the board, and now I will turn it over to Dave. All right, I'm back, and yeah, Mr. Spilkey is set up pretty far back on that hill. I did not expect that. Maybe I wasted my time reading all those bocage rules so thoroughly. Um, looks like he might give me the forward movement through there. I was thinking of attacking up the right side to avoid having to go through the bocage straight across the board, um, concentrating everything in one side. And then I was thinking, well, maybe I should shoot up this path that starts in L6, L8, L10 there through the woods. I'll need a place to rally off the hill. Yeah, I don't know. It looks like the best plan is going to be, well, to maybe come around. The problem with the hill is once you get up there, there's no cover to route into and he's set up to take advantage of the woods back there and W2 and there and the houses back there so I'd gotta kinda get back there and get some pressure on those somehow get some fire into there if I ever break him off the the hill I gotta keep him from rallying back so that looks like my task maybe I do wanna split my force a little and bring pinchers around. I do not know. I do not know. <laughs> and I never know. So I'm going to go. Maybe I'll stick to my original plan, taking this right flank, um, my right, his left. And there's a little bit more cover and some grain, bocage. And I can get into those houses back there. If I have time and get up and then keep something to the front also. Yeah, maybe I'll hit the front and the my right. And once I get the houses, I can lay fire into the start getting fire into the woods. Of course, once he's off the hill, I can just prevent him from coming back up. So that's what I'm thinking. Don't know. Don't know at all. I haven't had time to read up on my tanks, but um scout card or something about that. I don't know about this crew it has, but we'll figure that out as we play, and I'll check back in with you in a little bit. And maybe turn two or turn three, we'll give you some updates, all right? Uh, thanks, everybody. Hang on there. See you in a little bit. Hello, this is Rich again. We have finished the first two turns, so we're right about to start turn three for the American. He has chosen also what I would call a pretty conservative strategy. He's coming directly uh, down my left, his right. So his infantry has advanced all the way up, not quite to uh, board uh, 11. He's kind of on the fringes of the, let's see, hexes like B9 and C10. And he's kind of on the road that's on uh, like F8 and E8. He's sort of in that general area. Again, on my left, that's his infantry. His tanks, again, he was very conservative. He... Uh, he wait. He spent a couple turns, and he got up to hex A4 on board 54, which is woods. He used full movement factor there to avoid the bog, and he succeeded. So, like, on his next turn, turn 3, he will be able to cruise through A4 without risking bog. So that's not too terrible of a bad idea. I mean, his tanks will... It did take a turn or two to do that, but obviously his tanks will be, you know, safe, and he wouldn't have lost any of them. On the other hand, with my defensive setup... You know, I'm so far back with my anti-tank stuff anyway, you know, I don't think that's buying him too much. On the other hand, he's certainly not going to encounter my gun that's in S5 over on my right. But, you know, again, I mentioned that was perhaps taking a chance. But he still might move some infantry over there and unexpectedly uh, 
they might get hit. We'll see. But overall, right now, I'd say, you know, really nothing's happened. There hasn't been a single broken squad. There was one pin result on a small little shot uh, that he, he actually pinned me, but it was uh, in the first turn. So I have pretty much pulled back. I'm just hanging out, uh, you know, way in the back on the hill, and I'm waiting for, uh, you know, him to get a little bit closer before anything uh, commences. All right, it's Dave again, and, well, Rich told me my move wasn't that stupid, but I don't know. It seems awfully slow. I know all these Germans are on the back of the hill. There's only, like, three guns that can be hidden out here, so why aren't I just running faster through a little more open area? Um, Rich pulled his squads out of FF6, I thought, a little too early. I'm sorry, it was FF8. I would have skulked back in there made me break him. He would have had time probably to rally and get back. But he's in a better position in the back, so he probably knows what he's doing. And at this point, I'm trying to get through the woods with making a trail break, and I've never done that before in my life. So this is exciting, but very slow going. Uh, but I didn't want my tanks out front anyway. Okay, I keep my infantry rolling up front. So here I am, rolling the infantry up. Uh, at this point, I'm I've got a like a fairly large stack in G9. I've got a uh, squad and a half in E8, uh, D7, squad and a bazooka. I'll go back to G9. I have a half squad, squad and a nine neg two. Uh, C8, a squad, um, C10. Two squads, uh, medium, and a 8-0, and B-9, and all those were concealed. B-9, a squad, and a medium, and an 8-0 who's concealed because they made their roll, and then a squad that's not concealed in B-9 also. So that's where I've pushed up. I've got my tanks all piled up behind A-4. I'm trying to do a trail break through A-4. And then I can kind of roll up that flank and bring some pressure to bear on that infantry without dying, I hope. So here we go. We're going to roll it on some more, play another couple turns. We're at the start of turn three. See you in a bit. Uh, hello, it's Rich Spilkey again. We have now completed the first four turns, so we're at the very beginning of turn five out of seven. And again, not a whole lot has happened. He's uh, continuing to drive on my left. He was a little fortunate with uh, a couple of good white phosphorus shots, which are really kind of the only way to get some of my guys behind the bocage in DD3 and CC4. And only one of his tanks has run out of white phosphorus, and the rest still have plenty because he was rolling less than sevens. And my morale checks have all gone south. So, you know, I haven't had ultra bad luck, but, uh, you know, maybe slightly slightly on the uh, bad side, but that's the way it goes, of course. So he's moving on up. He's got a squad now at Z6 at the top of the hill there, and I still have my guy in the foxhole at Z4, so hopefully I can hold him off a bit. He also, uh, unfortunately, broke the crew of the mortar, and that has had to route away now all the way back to Z1. And that was, again, one of those white phosphor shots. He now sees the gun in BB3, and unfortunately, again, he just advanced a half squad into uh, BB6 in order to cause that to happen. And that's my boar-sighted location, but of course, you can't use that in, uh, unless he's moving. So he, was, uh, he doesn't realize how fortunate he was to just advance in there, so I can't use the boar sight. Plus, it's just a half squad to boot, so that uh, worked out. I doubt he'll move a guy now in there, now that he knows the gun is there. I still think I'm going to be all right although I do need to start to have a few more effects. I did get that. I did get one fortunate uh, KIA on one of his squads where I hit with the mortar a couple turns back and the uh, result was a two, so I was very fortunate there. Other than that though, you know, it still could go either way, we'll see, but he's definitely, you know, closing in on me and uh, of course the last two turns it'll be pretty messy, I think. So I'll turn it back over to Dave. All right, not going too bad, I suppose. Um, I'm now with a 667 in Z6. 
unconcealed. Uh, Z7 has two concealed squads, Bazooka and a 9-neg-2 concealed. The BB-6 has the half squad that brought revealed his AA gun in BB-3. The BB-7 has the squad, the medium, the 8-neg-1, BB-7. There's a tank trying to get white phosphorus on DD-3, but the tank's in DD-7, and he missed white phosphorus, and there's another tank in DD-8. I'm going to try and get the white phosphorus on that DD-3, bust that flank open, and get back to those houses where he's routing. So that part of my strategy was good, I guess, if I ever get there. The scout cars in GG-5, the road there, hiding and going to unload the machine gun dudes. There's a 667 concealed there also to back them up with a CX counter on it. A 347 unconcealed in FF6. And another tank and a squad in FF7. And the original tank, GG9, had, that had busted the other guy with the white phosphorus is still where he started the game. Or I mean where he uh, fired the white phosphorus from. So, I still worry about having only three turns left. Started turn five. Um... He's sitting tight. This fallback defense looks okay. I may just have to roll the tanks up on the hill, I guess. There's always overrun options, but he's got Panzerfaust, so it's kind of scary. Um, but I guess my plan is still to bust DD3, roll back into those houses, and start rolling up that flank from this side with the holding force on the hill above the hill Z5, you know, the second level hill maybe with the 9-neg-2 and stuff. So, I guess we're going to continue, sirs. Alright, on <laughs> second thought, we are not going to continue, gentlemen. It appears that I'm not going to win. I'm a turn short, or even more than that. And, therefore, I have to... I guess i got to come up with some kind of excuse for Rich as to... Maybe if I, maybe if I said I had to just quit for some reason, it's... The night before um, we leave for Thanksgiving vacation, maybe I can use that as my excuse. I'll give it a try, all right? Well, it's getting kind of late. I'm sure I can win, but I have to pack for vacation. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Nicely put. Maybe I'm going to lose, so I'm going to quit. Um, it is the <laughs> but I do have to go on vacation, but actually we did a great time. We Rich, did. We did great time. You want to be done by 10, and it's only and it's 30. Half an hour to do that last crazy rush to kill the German, and we're going to skip it. End of turn six. Um, okay, quickly what we're looking at, the Americans move. So I, there's the scout car in T6, hoping to hit his guys in the wall advantage in W5. Um, in the center of the upper level oil in Z5 is the 9-neg-2. Two good order squads, a bazooka, and then the broken squad and half squad that had been gone up to AA5 and Z4 and were knocked right out because, Rich, why did you kill Z4? It's well, I was able to get a couple of good lucky rates with that 76L gun and the 12 firepower was able to break them. And the audience knows where you boresighted it? Yes, they know all that. Darn them. Why didn't you guys tell me? <laughs> <laughs> and I have a broken squad and a medium and AA6, which I think got nailed there. Oh, he routed up there from, like... BB-5 or BB-6, where he was with a leader who went heroic, but to no avail. And then BB-5, I got a busted tank that the... 76L again. Took it out. And he got a turret hit. Yeah. Yeah, I got very fortunate. The 76L made up for the lack of the uh, six firepower anti-aircraft gun. Which what happened to it? But I think I think I mentioned that it broke last time. Or maybe no, I didn't, we didn't. Didn't we talk about that? No. Okay, I got a twelve on that guy. He moved right into my boar sided location. I had a minus three shot on an eight negative one leader and a squad, and of course I rolled the classic twelve. So I was uh, yes. Which uh, who called the twelve? You called it. But as I told Rich, he hasn't played me ever before. I usually call about every third shot as a box cars, so it really doesn't pan out. To, and then, to mean on, much, then on the first repair roll, naturally, I rolled a six. Yes, which I learned that a gun with a limbered side has no repair number, and I'm ashamed to admit, listeners, that I had been not letting them rally. So as soon as I would break my guns with the limbered fire size with no uh, repair numbers on them, I would yank them off the board. And I even taught uh, several people that. Oh, no, you don't get to repair. And so Rich pointed out that that's why you have that blue gun 
malfunction counter with your tank counters here, your MA malfunction. Yep, that's what it's for. And, of course, I rolled a 6, so it didn't matter anyway, but, the, but at least theoretically I could have repaired it. Yeah, which at first I thought meant the rules gods were justifying that I was correct, but uh, I think Rich is correct on that. So, yeah, back in BB6's boresighted hexagram, they had a 667, a medium, and the 8 neg one that went heroic with a tank still, who had just prepped on turn 6. And what was I trying to do? I don't know, break anybody, you name them. There's a whole slew yeah, of targets. Was, the 76Ls, low rolls, and rate of fires made up for the uh, lack of the other one. So, you know, I guess it kind of all washed out. And that one's not, is that one that effective anyway? Well, against infantry, right? Well, 6 minus 3. Yeah, for infantry. Oh, yeah, yeah for the boar sided. Even open ground, mm-hmm. it's still going to be neg 2. So, yeah, and with at least a rate of 2 then. Lowers its rate, right? I still think that's a pretty good location for that gun, despite the fact like that it, it didn't do anything, because it, it has a pretty good line of sight, and you have to face it. You can't, you know, really circumvent it too readily without right. going way out of your way. I am, and that's what I did, and that's why I lost, I think. Because I, I did take time. plan, as I told the listeners, was to come up this right flank, try and get in here and deny you some rally space, mm-hmm. at least reduce it to this, because once you're off the hill, I could probably hold the hill then. So what I have coming around there toward that AA gun, where his mortar was, and what happened to that mortar guy? He got KI'd? No, he routed. He routed way back here. Or no, he rallied, actually. He did? Oh, yeah, he rallied. He, he and swept he, over he here. He moved over to W3. W3. To come up in the last turn, right? Yep. To hold, hold the hill. Just one last half squad. One more. And the, what I what we did discover for the Americans was the white phosphorus, right, against the bocage? Absolutely. That's key. you got to use white phosphorus. you got white phosphorus 7, so the odds of getting it are not too bad. It really breaks the German guys pretty readily with their 6 and 7 morale, respectively. So that really is a key for the American white, white phosphorus, the heck out of them. And from our interpretation, you don't have to have them in the line of sight, right? Once the white phosphorus hits the hex... If they're not at wall advantage, they still take the check. That's how we read the rules. I think we did it right. I think we did. And so in that hex, CC5, I had ended up with a squad and a half and an 8-0 leader um, getting ready to try and get in there. I'm sorry, two half squads, a squad and a leader, trying to close combat that stinky little crew and start turning that flank. Yeah, he also got a lucky roll of the crew, even though he didn't do anything with the gun. Didn't he roll a three on a, oh, and, he, and he got a one morale check on some guys? I thought he, did he KI somebody? I thought it was a one round yeah, check, but, but it was enough to break them. It was enough to break yeah. them, which is a big deal. Right, big deal. You know, one other thing we should talk about is you don't know how good of a move this was with your scout car and T six. Well, it cuts off around. the open ground down here in the back, right, well, of the hill. Well, it's even better than you think because okay. naturally you can take out my W five stack without any TEM, which was what your right. main, main intent was, I presume. Yeah. yeah. But I have not revealed my last hidden gun to you yet, which I'm right about to do. Oh yes, where is this last hidden gun? It's the it's the amazing hiding oak. Oh, As the listeners crud. know, it's right in S5, but this is a blind hex because of the orchard, and it's right here. Ooh. I was hoping you'd move one hex further, and I could have probably pretty easily gotten it, yep. but it's blind. I can't see it. Yep, I stopped just in the nick of time. The other thing that's good about it is um, my, my plan was, even if you did annihilate me over here, I was hoping on the last turn to unhide the crew and have him kind of cruise over into like S8 or S9. Oh, I totally forgot about that. And, you know, yes. kind of sneak up on the hill and just sort of get a... And then your last turn, you'd come charging at him, and I was hoping I'd survive that. Yeah, no, you are... T- I totally... For- and that's embarrassing, because even on earlier podcasts, I've told stories of beating people with my hidden guy adjacent to the hill, and he steps up or adjacent to the building, and they go in. So I was... I was... I totally forgot that. That's- but having this guy here was good, because even if I would have tried that move, this yeah. guy would have been close enough to maybe overrun him on your last turn. But it would have been better if I was thinking about that. Well... <laughs> So I am embarrassed. That's because you're right. You got to search as you go. So if you're going to play this scenario, Raft's dilemma, Americans, you better be turning up those guns. And part of the reason I stayed to the one side was to try and avoid a gun or two, which worked. But then I was forgetting he could just step up. But the way I set up, as I told the listeners in the beginning, it's super conservative defense. This was extremely conservative. I was way back, but everything supported everything. Yes. So you had to go into the meat grinder. You really didn't have much of a choice. And, uh, you know, one of my guns did poorly, one of my guns did well, but you really had no choice but to go into the teeth of it eventually. Mm-hmm. And so uh, perhaps the conservative approach isn't very flashy. There's no sneaky shots or anything like that, but... Yeah. Yeah, I kept waiting for the side shot with something, you know. Um, I'm surprised they don't give you at least a hidden squad, too, to get some Panzerfaust somewhere, but... The other interesting thing that I told uh, the listeners at the beginning was the 75-star gun, the two kill numbers only 10. 
so it really can't do anything to the front of the right. So the reason yeah. I put it here on the side is because if you did move your tanks on this side, which you didn't, then you'd have. The... I'd at least have a chance to. Otherwise, this thing's worthless against the tanks, yeah. other yeah. than deliberate mobilization, which is hard to do. Yeah. So the side shot was necessary, right? That was my thinking. <clears throat> then and, and then the bunker, you know, that's you can nail the bunker with the. Uh, you know, you can fire that AP at him with no TEM. Correct, and I was planning to do that, but I had that stupid anti-tank gun still to worry about. But yeah, of course, I put them again. I put the things adjacent to each other to help each other out a little yeah, bit. Yeah, the way to kill the pillbox, he's right, folks, is to get. Then did they change that rule mid midway through, or was that been around since '85? No, that's you know? been around. You can always get a uh, you know one or two. I think I discovered it shot. halfway through my 20-year career. Okay. Somewhere halfway through there, it was like, wait a minute, you can yeah, an AP you don't count that stinking terrain. Right. The the the, the shell pierces it and ricochets around inside or something, right? It's not a high right. explosive, but it can penetrate You better. can also shoot from the non-covered arc of the pillbox and get the same effect, a two-firepower yeah. even. right. The rule that you taught me, Dave, was on the wall advantage stuff. And again, if you're going to play any of these scenarios with bocage, you really got to read those bocage rules because it happened to us a number of times where we were... You know, we both had read it recently, so I think we agreed yeah. in 90% of the cases. But mm -hmm. what, what he taught me was, what Dave taught me was, to claim wall advantage. There are five specific instances uh, listed in the rule book. Yeah, as Joe it. mentioned on an earlier show, actually. But to lose it... To lose it, you can lose it anytime you want. Anytime. So Which is what I was What I was doing <laughs> as the defender, it's a huge advantage to the defender. I would shoot at him in the, in the defensive fire phase or in the prep or fire prep. phase. And then I would lose wall advantage, and he couldn't do anything about it to shoot back at me. Yeah, before anything else could happen. Um, and so that really makes this bocage cool and tough, like real tough. And I think that's why we were telling you the white phosphorus is one of the few ways to catch people who aren't up to the wall. They're trying to hide within the hex, mm -hmm. but not at the bocage wall. Hey, but you know what? I just realized this, because, again, I just read it the other day, and honest to goodness, this just popped into my head. What we said is correct as far as you can lose it any time you want, but only if you have another positive TEM to choose. Oh, and I didn't. I you're had, right. I had wheat you're field. right. I, okay. So in a couple cases, I might have had, like, a trench or something, but in, in, yes. in the DI. Yes, we're looking at the hexes CC4 and DD3. That is correct, because they don't have a woods or you know a what? building. Yeah, so, so I should not have been able to do that. That would have fallen quicker. So I apologize for that. I That's just a, noticed well, that. I just run them today, too. I knew that. I knew that, Rich. It I might have that. made a little bit of a difference, but I don't think well, it would have made a huge difference. I think it would have really helped this right flank to fly quicker. It would have gone faster. Real quicker, and you might have got behind those trenches. That might have been the extra turn I would have needed to keep my confidence up to make a last minute run. But that's but squad leader. It is squad leader, and don't let that slow you down, folks. You don't know all the rules. Just play it, right, Rich? That's right. Just play it. That's the only way you can learn. Look it up later. Play it the same, you know, as long as you're both playing it the same way. And we both were playing it that way, you know. Um, in fact, I think I... Was I the one that told you that rule <laughs> wrong? Oh, that, well, well, we both had read it, and we both looked yeah. at that example that has that British 648, and we were both fixated on that, but that British 648, I think, was in a wooden building behind it. Yes, he was, or or, or uh, woods behind the bocage. Something so like that. That gets tough, and if you were to fight it out up closer here on board 54... Yeah. Yeah, you don't even have a whole lot of examples of that either. So that makes it a little more right. rare. But Okay. <clears throat> so we blew that, but otherwise I think we did a real good job trying to learn our bocage and wall advantage and um, play out AP, what is this, 4? AP 29, Raph's Dilemma. Do you think it's balanced? Well, the record does show it to be pretty pro-German, and indeed right. this one played that way. Um, you know, I had, I think my, my breaks at the end perhaps outweighed my bad breaks in the beginning, at least so it seemed. But even so, it's pretty hard on the American. I think you do need the balance, and that would make it, uh, I think if you get an extra squad as the American. So if I were to play it again... I'd recommend at least that. Yeah, if I were the American, I think the American could win with the balance, and perhaps it's even that way. But you really got to know what you're doing with the bocage. You, yeah, you really do. And in fact, this one doesn't have as much bocage as later ones, I'm guessing. Did you look through all the scenarios? Well, a lot of battles are really in the thick of the bocage, whereas here... Which would be like 54. Yes. But with Rich's setup, he was avoiding that, getting me in the open ground here, making me into this, like you said, uh, supporting... Another thing you might have considered doing, Dave, again, the odds were um, not hugely in your favor to do this, but you do have smoke mortars oh, yeah. that uh, 
you might have used, and you could toss that smoke up and protect your infantry during the movement phase. Pretty I'm well. terrible at that. In fact, I'm going to present that on our next um, or our last, depending when we get this on the air, when we do our tanks episode. My job is to actually do smoke mortars and all that because I want to teach myself better. So that's a real but you did use the white phosphorus well. You I, do, I did we, think of that. A normal morale check on my guys, especially the six morale guys, yeah, is uh, it's pretty tough. bad. Um, but hey, I appreciate the opportunity to play the scenario with you. I think it went all right. Yeah, it went very well, and I had a lot of fun. And um, we took our time. We seemed to under I seemed to understand a lot of things fairly well because of reading the rules. Uh, I mean, what else was surprising in this game? With Bocage. I thought it was one other thing I was going to mention, but maybe it was we the White Fox. We should maybe mention that one of my full squads and leaders went berserk and got completely oh, annihilated. That was fun. Yeah. <laughs> fun for you. Yeah. If you, <laughs> with those tanks, you can pull up. I had them crew exposed, and of course, I had a turn to prepare for Rich's berserk guy to come across, so I just set up some massive fire groups across the little. Uh, I think you got like the a 4K IA or less than a 4K IA. It was pretty, yeah. pretty severe. And that was the second shot. The first shot got 1K IA. And right. And the F squad and kept coming. Shows how the big reserves can get in there sometimes, too. So, <clears throat> yeah, I think, and when I looked at it, too, I thought, wow, nine American squads against ten. Right. And even if they're conscripts, you know, so what? You still got to, they usually get the shot at you mm -hmm. first, so... Um, I thought that was challenging, and I know the balance with the, well, not the balance, but the fact that the Americans have, you know, four vehicle, five vehicles should help, but I'm not sure it's enough to overweigh that. Might have been better getting them up on the hillside further away from you sooner to give them a couple turns to acquire and start to... Right, and another thing is you got that <coughs> scout car that we both had to look up in the armor listings, and you got a heavy machine gun and a, and a medium machine gun. And I, you you I can remember strip to, off of that. I remembered to pull those off. You did remember, but again, playing it again, you'd probably think way ahead exactly yes. where you wanted that thing to be. It's got 28 movement points. Yes, you'd it. probably think, I want my machine guns to be you know, here or there. So they can, you know, have some effect because then you got to assemble them and yep. all that. And there sits mine, not assembled. So, <laughs> in so, the last so again, if I were to, six, if I were to play this okay. again as the American, you know, that would be since we played it now, I would know that that was an important thing to have in mind. So again, it's harder on the American if you've never played it before. Yeah, and yeah, I think that is right. That is right. And that's true with just about any scenario, but I think this one's a little more, even more that way. Yeah, that open hill is is tough. So. In this situation, don't you agree? I think the American has to do some kind of flanking maneuver. Absolutely. You don't think they can just line up on the hill here and try and exchange fire for fire first? Well, you also know that only one of my guns is really capable of taking out your tanks. Yes. And even then, fire. even though I rolled pretty low with the thing, if I hit your your turret, or pardon me, your hull, it's an 11 armor against my 17, no guarantee I'm going to kill the tank. Yeah, and that did surprise me. I, I guess I'm 76L. Is that the same kill number as a 75? I believe it is the same. Is. They're both yeah. 17s. Yeah, I thought it upped it a little bit to like an 18 or and something. And my APCR number is a 3 in 1944, so the odds of getting to get. that are pretty slim. So that's, again, why I put my gun over here, the 75-star gun. The in, infantry in gun. S5, yeah. because the only chance it has against a tank is a side. But knowing that, you might have you know tried the flanking, knowing you might lose one or two tanks, but then the other two would be free. But, you know, again, that's easy to say now. When we neither one of us have played it until tonight, right? And you could enter as riders, right, for the American. At least the aftermath says he did. Yes, you could, but you only again. That's only four squads, <laughs> and uh, do you really want to lose a tank and a no. and a squad at and the same time? I decided time? not to do that. I right. wouldn't have done that either. Although running down that center road, but if if he had his gun and Y seven in the pillbox, we think it could have been hidden, right? I think if you put it in the uh, pillbox and Y seven, even though Y seven is open ground in this scenario, or Z, or Z six. Yeah, or Z6. Shot straight down the road. Well, yes, you know, once you get to here anyway, once you get to uh, H8 on board 54, you can see. Well, I guess you can see H7 as well on board 54, but this is a blind hex. H6? H6 is blind. But isn't there a line of sight right down the road between okay, the Okay, good point. I think there is. You know, I'd have to think about that. I, I, I think it has to be same level for that. Might be, because the branches little, might go over the road. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. But anyway, uh, my interpretation of the... Uh, pillbox rules, and I could be mistaken, but if you have a hidden gun, the pillbox is considered concealment terrain, and I think the rules say that if you have an HIP unit in a pillbox, then the pillbox also is HIP, I think. 
Yeah, and I didn't had never played that way, and I, I'm going to, you know, imagine Rich is right, and we can look it up later. I might be mistaken, but I'm not sure. You listeners can look it up and tell us, but when we say that, no one ever really does that. <laughs> and I don't blame you. Look it up when you need to play the game, not when, you know, just to correct us or something. So, well then, good analysis of the scenario, good after-action report, fun time. Uh, can we do a quick interview? Sure. When did you start playing squad leader? I started playing when I was a sophomore in high school, which would have been 1980. 1980. So that was pre-advanced. That, that, that was squad leader. That was And I had a friend that kind of introduced me to the game, and then I ended up liking it more than he did. And he introduced me to it, and then, you know, he didn't want to play anymore. And I did find a couple of friends to play it, and I bought, uh, you know, the... Cross of Iron and GI Angle of Victory and Crescendo of Doom, and I got into all that. And but I was way way out in front as far as my friends really didn't like it anywhere near as much as me. And then what happened was sort of a weird thing. I uh, went to college, which many of us did, and I completely didn't play Squad Leader at all. Didn't think about it. I got involved in college activities. I joined a fraternity. I was involved in school. I met my uh, uh, person who became my wife. And so I didn't play at all. And then graduated from college, went to graduate school, working, got married. So this is like seven years. My mom's basement flooded. My mom lived in Arlington Heights at the time. Her basement flooded, and she says, hey, all, a lot of your games were damaged. Ugh. Come get them. So I went home, and sure enough, Squad Leader was water damaged. But again, I hadn't touched it in oh, seven years. This is going to be a good thing, isn't it? Well, I'm going to get to the good. <laughs> so what happened was, so this is again pre-internet. This would be like 1990 yeah. now. It's about 1990. And I, you know, sure enough, my rule book was all tattered. I'm talking about the Squad Leader rule book. Correct. The boxes were all kind of moldy. It was very bad. It was very much damaged. So I got a hold of one of those little old-fashioned, uh, you know, order blanks, the Avalon Guild. Hill Game Company used to have, uh -huh. the little white ones that you fold over and yep, you look the envelope. I remember those well. And sure enough, I sent it in and they sent me back the things. And sure enough, during this time I was away, they invented this thing called Advanced Squad Leader. Okay. During the, I guess during the 80s when I yeah. wasn't playing. I think 85 it came out because I that was my first, or close to it, that was my first experience. Yeah. But yeah, I think you're right. And so I had no idea, what is this Advanced Squad Leader? I just wanted to get my Squad Leader rule book back. <laughs> And so I decided to buy, you know, and try it because I figured I would like it. And then now here's the other weird part. This is before my wife and I had children. But my, you know, I'm bringing out, you know, breaking out these pieces and these boards, and she's like, "What the, you know, what is going on? What is, who is, who are you? And where did you do with my husband? You know, I never ever, because again, she throughout college, I never played at oh, all. Closet gamer, folks. <laughs> and so it really was a shock to my wife to see how, um, you know. How much one could be into with something like this? Because again, I, I didn't mean to hide it from her. I just right. It just it just didn't happen. It wasn't for hard. A while. It wasn't. Yeah. But you know, I, I graduated from college. I had a little bit more time. Again, it was before we had our children. Before we were too busy with that. And so anyway, that's my story, long and short of it. Did you play other war games before Squad Leader? Then I pretty much only played Squad Leader. I really haven't and played that many other games. Do you play any other games now? Now I like to play 1776. And I have a friend that's interested in starting a Civil War game, but we haven't decided which one we want to buy yet. I might want some advice on that, by the way, from you or from uh, other yeah, people I would know. I wouldn't know, but there are people who would. So you can uh, make a post a comment or contact us at Gmail and, and give Rich some ideas of what to play. Yeah, we're looking at some entry-level Civil War board games to play. So that's pretty much uh, my squad leader story. Yeah. And um, and then do you have any favorite scenarios offhand that you could want to throw oh, out I have, I have lots of favorite ones. Um Let's see, what would be one of my absolute favorites? I love Acts of Defiance. I think that's a great scenario. Oh, did that have, like, um, people in the sewers that popped yeah. out and stuff? Yeah, I like that it's one, too. It's got the sewer guys. That's a great scenario. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. I like uh, Mayhem in Manila. I think everybody's played that a thousand times. Yeah, and I think I remember that. Was it Chinese-Japanese, or was that... No, a... that's American-Japanese. Okay. And it's not yeah, on Manila, the... Manila, it's, it's, it's not on the Pacific board, though, so a lot of people it's, like to play Oh, that. it's on the uh, big building. It's deluxe uh, boards. Yeah, with those long streets going at an angle down. And I have a sob story for that, too, that's even worse than the sob story I have in this scenario. I had a perfectly placed Japanese medium machine gun on the second level. I bore-sighted the entry-level hex that... Uh, the Americans were going to enter on, enter in on. It was absolutely perfect. Directed by a nine negative one leader. Dream come true. He moved a CE tank through there. I did not shoot. I did nothing, hoping that he would move an infantry stack through. 
Sure enough, he moved three six six sixes and a nine negative one liter loaded with weapons, full blast right through it. I had a four minus five shot. Dream. Minus two movement in the open and all that. Minus Leadership. two foresight. Minus one liter. Four minus five. What more do you want in life? I don't think I've ever had a four negative five. Guess what I rolled? Boxcars. Well, not quite. I rolled an 11. <laughs> so the 11 breaks down the Japanese machine gun. Correct. And it ended up being a, I guess 11 minus 5 is is 6. And it ended up being a normal morale check, but it could have been all so much more. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's not satisfactory to get normal morale checks when you have the night 5. It's just not. I'm sorry. But I actually did get a minus 5 <laughs> and didn't hurt him too bad. So, yeah. Any other scenarios you can think of offhand? Well, I love Hill 621. I, oh, I, play, I played that one. That's a great scenario. Big Germans are on the hill and the Soviets are all running up. Yeah, I love that yeah. scenario. I play either side on that. It takes a long time. I also yes, like that. Does. Another hill one is that hill 253.2, I think it's called, or 253.5. or Yeah, and that hand. That's that's another really good one. Is that one. another uh, eastern front? It's eastern front. It's in the, it's the board two hill. The uh, It's got everything. It's got minefields, wire, both sides get air support. Both sides get air support. Oh, yeah. Both sides get OBA. Uh-huh. It, uh huh. It it's a real exercise in the rule book, but it, it's a lot. It's a fun scenario. Yeah, excellent, excellent. So those are some of my favorites. Well, anything else you'd like to say before we sign off here? Well, again, I appreciate the chance, and thanks for having me over. Yeah, thanks for coming out. It's been really enjoyable. Uh, great opponent, and good to learn a few things. And uh, I do wish I got a little further in this game, though. I'm looking at this turn six, end of, end of my move at turn six. I haven't even started crushing one flank yet. I thought at least I'd get to this hedge over here by W4 and KX4. At least be, okay, I'll lose. He has a few left behind that bocage. I didn't even quite get that close, so I don't like that. But anyway, it was a great time. So thank you. Roll low. And may the dice be with you. But, but not when you're playing us. Bye-bye, everybody.